it means affliction. You know, tribulation means affliction. Uh, and that's, that's not a good word, okay? Affliction, another word that is used to describe in the Greek, uh, the word tribulation is distress. If you guys remember last week, that's the word that the apostles called the great tribulation, the great distress. And um, I want to make sure we, we understand that as we speak about the tribulation, that it's, it's a time of distress. It's, a, it's the worst period that the world has ever seen. And if we have time today, um, we'll go. I, I don't think we will have time, so it's fine because we could discuss it next week. I'm not in a hurry when it comes to, um, to the end times. But people always ask about, well, what are the seven seals? What are the seven trumpets? What are the seven bowls in the book of Revelation? And we will discuss them, how these seven seals, these seven trumpets, these seven um, bowls, they're just a series of God's judgment on the land. And we'll go through the verses if you want next week, and we'll talk about what each bowl means, which each trumpet means, what each seal means, and what's going to happen um, upon the earth when every single one of those seals are open. And it's going to be a horrific time um, when that is open. But my goal for today is hopefully, as we start to bring this down, I might skip some things because what I really want to do is I want to get into Daniel's 70th week. Um, and I want to really focus on that as Daniel in the Old Testament goes ahead and he begins to prophesy of the coming Messiah, of, <laughs> of the coming Antichrist, but yes, and even of the coming Messiah, of the coming Messiah and when he was going to die on the cross and of the coming Antichrist. And, um, and that's my goal today. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, we might have read this verse last week, but it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. How many of you could say the grace of God has appeared to me? I know I could. Because I know I, I wouldn't be here, and I'm sure you would agree that you wouldn't be sitting here today if the grace of God, God had not appeared to you. But look what the grace of God, do you guys know that the grace of God teaches you? You know what it teaches you? Watch this. Verse 12 says, the grace of God... It teaches us to say what? What does he say? This is Paul writing. Is it up there? Yeah. It teaches us to say no. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Are you guys seeing that? So Paul is telling us, God's grace is upon you, church. Amen. If God's grace is upon you, then there's a no deep down in your spirit. And that no deep down in your spirit is saying what? No to ungodliness, no to perversion, and yes to what? To self-control, to upright godly lives. Now why? Why is the grace of God teaching us such things? Why? Well, here's why. Verse 13, because we're waiting. And what are we waiting for? Well, verse 13 says, we're waiting for the blessed hope, and that is the appearing of the glory of of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you can say amen? Did you guys catch that? So, so praise God for his faith, for his grace that teaches me to say no and yes to godly things to prepare me for this blessed hope that you and I should be longing and waiting for and looking up to the heavens for. Amen? So when we talk about the tribulation today, our motivation for holy living is we love God. And especially as we look at this text, should be to escape the horrible tribulation that follows or that is to come. Better word said. 
Okay? And that's why I want to live holy. I want to love God and be with God. And I don't want to be here. And I don't want to experience these things. I want God to protect me and defend me. Do you guys remember the, the, the children of Israel in Egypt? I mean, persecutions were coming against them. I mean, they were being attacked from all sides, from Pharaoh, remember? And what did God do to them? While they were there, he was doing what? Protecting them. They put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost, and it says that when the death angel came to every house, whosever house had the blood of the lamb on top of their doorpost, they were saved, and it would pass over to the following house. I want to be that person that God can just allow to escape the times of the tribulation. Whether I'm here or not, I want to escape these times. Lord, I just want to learn, and I want to love you more, my blessed hope. Amen? And we see that. We've seen it all over Scripture. And I hope that that should be part of your encouragement to escape this horrible tribulation that is to come. In... I have so many verses, I'm trying to see which one should I read, which one should I, should I not. The New Testament is full of passages when you read it. We, we prayed right now for Iraq and the Christians that are being slaughtered there. It's full of passages telling us that we're going to have tribulations. Full of passages. That we're going to have sufferings. Now, the Bible says now in this present age, he t- Jesus tells the disciples that they will suffer much and they will enter into great tribulations in this present world. And we must be prepared to face all kinds of persecution and trials, even in the life that we live in right now. And there are some that we won't even be able to escape. Like you look at what's going on in Iraq. Those people are not escaping. They're being killed, they're being slaughtered, they're being murdered in horrific ways. They are alive and they're screaming while, while cameras are, are rolling tape. I mean, just think about this. There was one image of, of a father carrying a son like Jackson's age, my son, and he was weeping and in tears because his son was missing his head. Like, explain that to me, okay? Think about the times that we're living in Think about that. But the tribulation that we're talking about today is a tribulation that is going to be like none other tribulation that you could ever imagine on this earth. And I want to make sure you understand that. Next week, if we get into the seals and into the trumpets, into the bowls, you'll see what I'm talking about. And Jesus warns the church of this tribulation. And Jesus is the one who says that we should strive. There should be something in us that should be working to escape this tribulation. He actually says this in Luke 21, and I'm going to read the scripture to you, if you could just listen to it. In Luke 21, 36, he says, Be always on the watch. Remember we discussed that a few weeks ago? Be always on the watch and pray. What am I praying for? What am I on the watch for? Well, Jesus says this, That you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Okay. I get it, Lord. So, so he's warning the believer. And then he goes, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So that you would be able to, to, to give word of your life when you stand before me. So, so it's very important that we see that Scripture does not hide from the times that are to come. So when we look at tribulation in Scripture, I, I want to make sure that you understand this. And if you're writing notes, you could write this. The word tribulation, whenever you read 
in the scriptures, you're going to see that it's not going to always say tribulation. The word tribulation is also called the great day of God's wrath. And you could jot that in your mind or on a piece of paper there. I'm going to give you a perfect example. In Revelation chapter 6, when the sixth seal is open, and, and, and there's just horrific, I mean, just massive destruction on this planet. It says this. Okay, listen now. It says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand this day? When you look at that phrase, and the great day of his wrath, what John is talking about in Revelation chapter 6 is, he's talking about the tribulation. The great tribulation has arrived, and no man can stand against it. That's how powerful it is. Does everyone understand? Um, the prophet Joel, who here has ever heard of the prophet Joel? Well, the prophet Joel does an amazing, amazing job, the prophet Joel. And he does a great job in speaking prophetic word of the times that are to come. And I want you to see, and, and just hear me, in Joel chapter 2, he begins to describe the great tribulation in the days that are to come. And he goes on and he says, the earth quakes, the heavens will tremble, the sun and the moon will grow dark. I, I'm sorry, this is Joel 2. I, I skipped a lot, so I'm actually starting on verse 10. Forgive me. The earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. And then in verse 11, Joel, way before these things are even to happen, look what Joel says. He's, this is amazing. He says, The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who execute, executes his word. And then he says this, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And look what he says next. And who can endure it? He's almost pretty much saying the same thing that John is saying in Revelation. I'm talking about an Old Testament passage written in a time very far away or, or very far past, way back from the time of John. And they're both saying the same thing. No one will be able to endure the great tribulation. Who will be able to stand this day, this great day of God, this great day of God's wrath? And I want to make sure that we understand that. And I'll skim through some verses um, for your notes if you're taking. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about it. In verses 9 and 10, because I'm, I'm flowing so I could get to Daniel's prophecy. And Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, he says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who is the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. Notice what Paul calls it. He calls it from the coming what? From the coming wrath. He calls it wrath. Um, another one is found in um, 1 Thessalonians, the other chapter, chapter 5. He says this, Brothers, about the times and the dates, we do not need to write to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.1 For you know very well that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. I'm going to skip now to verse 4 in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, But you, brothers, you're not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. 
So, church, you, you shouldn't be living in darkness. You shouldn't be living in your sin so that this day surprises you. are like, I wasn't ready. You should be in holiness. You should be prepared. You should be in righteousness because this day is coming sooner than you think. And then look what he says. I'm going to skip. Look at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God did not appoint us to suffer. Can you please say the next word? Wrath. See that? They're all calling it wrath. It's not a nice time. The great tribulation is not a nice time. It's, it's, it's not going to be, well, you know what, I'll get through it as long as I have my money. It's not. As long as I have the people that I love next to me. It's not what you think. Well, as long as, it's not. It's not anything like you could ever imagine. Amen? I don't know if you want to say amen to that, but Amen. Amen. Now what happens is, as we talk about this wrath, we see a pattern throughout Scripture. And God always sends to save or to remove the righteous people before he sends wrath. You remember Lot? He's saving and removing people. Remember Noah? He's removing people from God's wrath. And we see that in Noah's times, in the days of Lot, righteous begin or are able to escape from the judgment of God. And God removes them. And one scripture says the righteous are taken away and they're spared from evil. That's found in Isaiah 57.1. Isaiah in chapter 26 verse 20 even says this, hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. He's talking about securing us securing us from this wrath of the great tribulation. Now, when we see this tribulation of seven years in the book of Revelation, we see that God is delivering wrath, as we've just read. And this wrath that God is delivering is extreme wrath. And, and we see that there are seals that are being opened that we'll discuss in detail next week if God allows and in these seals, there's going to be a world leader, which we will talk about um, today. And it's going to be a world conquest, and, and, and he's going to take over, and he's going to have power by many nations. We're going to know by the second seal, when a second seal is open, there's already widespread death and destruction all over the earth. And then we skip over to the fourth seal. And we know that the fourth seal, one-fourth of the entire world, one-fourth, that's a big number of the world population is already dead. People believe that maybe an army is going to throw some sort of nuclear bomb and destroy a big part of the earth. One-fourth, that's hard, through the fourth seal. Just think about that. So God's wrath and his judgments are, are being revealed through this tribulation. And then we see 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord begins, and he begins to talk, Paul, about this, this coming day that's going to take place. But in 2 Thessalonians 2, I won't read it, but you can write it in your notes. He begins to describe this day of the Lord as it will spark up as soon as this Antichrist, some sort of Antichrist will be revealed. And this Antichrist will oppose everything that is called of God. 
And this Antichrist, you, you will see from Paul's letter to Thessalonica, he deceives the world, and he deceives the world with false miracles, the Bible teaches us. And God sends a powerful delusion to condemn all those who refuse to love and believe in the truth. And we could see that if God is doing this, he's more than just being a little angry. God is furious with mankind because they've continued and continued and continued to refuse him as the true one and living God. And he says, how much more can I deal with you? And finally, this wrath that we've been talking about occurs. It occurs. And you can find that in 2 Thessalonians 2. You could see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, and he begins to talk to the church. Guys, very important that we see this, that we see this. Now, I'm going to teach you something before we get into Daniel's stuff. So we have the great day of God's wrath, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The next phrase that you see a lot in the Bible is this phrase. So you never confuse them. A lot of people confuse them. So the first one, the first one that we have is the great day of God's wrath. We've talked about that one already. And what is that speaking of, the great day of God's wrath? The tribulation. So I don't want you to ever get confused with that phrase. Because there's another phrase that is mentioned. How many of you have, you seen, have you seen this phrase? The day of the Lord. How many of you have seen that one? When the day of the Lord comes. The day of the Lord. So we've seen the day of the Lord. And then you've all also seen that there's another one. Have you, how many of you have seen this one? The day of Christ. The day of the Lord. And then they also talk about the day of Christ. And I don't want you to ever confuse the one of the great day of God's wrath to this day of Christ. Because... The day of Christ is a totally different day, and that is the day of the rapture. I'm going to read you some scriptures of when it comes to the day of Christ so you could see, so you could see the difference. Just, just follow with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, Paul says this to the church. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end and that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another verse, Philippians 1, 6 and 10. Being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Look what he says. So that you will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the what? Until the day of Christ. It's always a positive term. You have the day of the Lord. It talks about God's wrath. And then you talk about the day of Christ, and it talks about blessing. It's the day of the rapture. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 1.14, As you have understood us in, the, in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you. And look what he says next. We will boast of you in the day of what? The Lord Jesus, the Lord Christ. So every time you see in Scripture the day of the Lord and then the day of Christ, you see how there's differences in the Scripture, how one is used to describe wrath and how another one is used to describe wrath, um, to describe um, hope in the return of Jesus Christ. So as we get into this, I want everyone to turn to Daniel chapter 9 with me. Turn to Daniel chapter 9 in the Old Testament. And this is the meat of what I really want to discuss with you guys 
today in Daniel 9. Once you're there, just give me an amen, and I'll know you're in Daniel 9. So we have the rapture coming, we have the tribulation coming, and what is Daniel going to teach us? Here we have Daniel chapter 9, and if you could all put your eyes on verse 24. Everyone turn to verse 24. Daniel 9.24, there is a profound prophecy. And almost every biblical scholar, as they look at this prophecy, agree. The, pretty much about every point that we're going to make today about the end times implications and what this prophecy means. And they all agree and they all decided that, yes, that is the translation of what we see in Daniel chapter 9. Many biblical scholars. When you look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 24, we're going to read 24 through 27. Jesus refers to what Daniel talks about in this passage. Something that we're going to read, which is called the abomination of desolation. I don't know if you've ever heard of that phrase. One translation says it this way. The abomination that causes desolation. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 24, 15. For sake of time, we won't turn there, but I'll give you the reference. Matthew 24, 15. And in the book of Daniel chapter 9, you're going to see that Daniel clearly speaks of the same exact day. Let's go into this for a second. Daniel goes on and he says this. You're not going to understand probably anything that I'm reading until we start to break it down. He says this. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. We're going to go over all this. 25. Know and understand this, that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. And they will be rebuilt with streets and a trench. But in times of trouble, and then he says, after the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. And we'll, and we'll have nothing. And the people of the ruler, that verse is very important, will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. And he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. I know, what are you talking about? We're going to get into this. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. An abomination of desolation. Until the end that is decreed and is poured out on him. This is a very important passage, the book of Daniel. We, we didn't read the beginning verses. Let me explain to you what's happening here. Gabriel, the angel, comes to Daniel and says, Come, the word of the Lord has spoken to me. And he wants me to tell you all these things and show you this stuff. Come over here with me. And the angel Gabriel begins to show Daniel some end-time prophecy. And he starts off by saying there are 77s. 
And he begins to describe what happens within these numbers. Now, this is very hard for me because if you're very close to me, you're going to know that if there's one thing that I am horrific at is math. I am so bad at math that I've been tutored my whole life in math. From the, since I've been in elementary till college, I've always been tutored in the subject of math. I have a very low IQ when it comes to math. I just can't grab the concept of math. I can't to this day. So I'm going to do my best to try to explain to you what this math problem is talking about. You guys going to have grace on me? We're going to learn together, and if I miss something, just say it. And I'd rather you teach people if you know more than me about this matter. Here we go. In Daniel 9.24, we go back to it, and he talks about the sevens. When you study these sevens, you start to recognize that these sevens are not, uh, as they're described as Daniel's 70th weeks, and they're described as periods, they're more than just weeks or periods, they're actually seven years when you start to learn it. They're actually years, and we're going to talk about this. So when you look at the phrase 77s, uh, if I'm not wrong here, I think that equals 490 years. And that represents 490 years when the angel tells him that. And then the angel goes ahead and tells Daniel this. This prophecy is specifically for, and look at what he says. He says, your people and your holy city. Did you guys catch that? Your people. So what is Daniel writing here? Who are, or sorry, who is your people? Anyone want to take a shot? He's talking about Israel here. Your people. And then he says, and your holy city. Anyone want to take a guess what they think that is? That's Jerusalem. So when you begin to see this, he's like, I'm going to give you 490 years of history for the Israelites and for Jerusalem. This is amazing. Daniel is going through this. <clears throat> and this is going to be important, verse 24, especially when we come to the end in verse 27 of the 70th week. So just put your brain on that one. Now in verse 25, he talks about something. And he says this in verse 25. He says, No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. If you know anything about Jerusalem... Jerusalem has always come, been conquered, and been destroyed to rebuild again, right? Where's a perfect example in the Old Testament where Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt? There's a book named after this man, Nehemiah, okay? And that's what Daniel is talking about here now. He's talking about a time where now, in verse 25, no one understands this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens, and it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So when we look at Daniel 9.25, he is predicting here a rebuilding of Jerusalem. A rebuilding in Jerusalem that you can study easily in Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. King Artaxerxes is what he's talking about here. And King Artaxerxes is so important in this prophecy. Because if you study Nehemiah chapter 2, and here is now where the math is going to be tricky, so help me. King Artaxerxes writes out a decree. And this decree was issued. Now, before we get into this, his reign began in 465 B.C. 
When this decree was made to rebuild Jerusalem because it was destroyed, the decree came in the 20th year of his reign. We see that in Nehemiah chapter 2. And that's about 445 B.C. So he began to reign in 465 B.C. The decree to rebuild the temple was in 445 B.C. When you study that date, it's actually the first of Nisan. It's a Jewish month. A month that we would look call as March. And you're looking about at March 14th. It's a, it's a very important uh, month and it's a Jewish month. In Daniel 9.25, he talks about this rebuilding. And the rebuilding would take seven, look what he says, seven sevens. Another word for seven sevens is, seven times seven is 49 years. 49 years. Now, why did I mention the Jewish month Nisan? When you study the Jewish months, you're going to recognize that they have 30 days. So a year to the Jews is 360 days. Okay? So here you have Nehemiah. And here you have um, um, in Nehemiah chapter 2 talking about Artaxerxes. And he brings out this decree. And in this decree, it takes him 49 years to build up Jerusalem again. Now we're going to go into verse 26 as we keep all these things in our mind as, as they all tie up at the end. Look at verse 26 now. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolation has been decreed. So now we see that there's going to be about 62 sevens. 62 times seven is 400, if I hope I'm right, and 34 years. That's 434 years now from the time of rebuilding Jerusalem. Now watch this. When Artaxerxes built Jerusalem and rebuilt it in the decree as it began in 445 B.C., and it took him 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem, when you grab that time that Jerusalem was built up to the time that Jesus Christ, that Daniel calls in 926 as the anointed one, the anointed one. When you grab all those years, 434 years, listen to what I'm about to tell you. He says 62 sevens. 434 years come from the time of rebuilding Jerusalem to the time that Jesus Christ comes to die on the cross. There's a gap of 434 years. Now, if you calculate the 69 weeks of years, Okay, because remember we're talking about 70th week. We haven't hit the 70th week yet. We're talking about the 69th. When you calculate the 69th, we're going to jump into the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy in a second. And you begin to do the numbers of the 69th week. Listen to what I'm about to, to tell you guys. It comes up to 483 years from the first Nisan, which is March 14th, 445 B.C., and you multiply it to 483. So what am I trying to say? Let's rewind. Okay? Let's rewind. Because here's my math now. We're, we're now, right now, my mind is full of numbers. Here it is. He builds, the, he builds Jerusalem again. Artaxerxes. 49 years it takes. When it takes him 49 years, we see that he is done. At 400. 
and 43. It takes 443 years by the time he's done to the time of Christ. There's a big chunk of 434 years of the time that Jerusalem was built to the time that Jesus Christ died on the cross. 434 years in that middle period. If you were to grab the 69th week, okay, the 69th week, it makes 483 years. And you were to grab this 69th week, 483 years, by 360 days, you're to grab this number that, that he's formulating. And remember I said the Jewish month has 360 days? You were to add these numbers. Listen, you have 173,880 days. Don't worry about that big number, but it's important. 173,880 days. So what's so important about 173,880 days? Who cares about that gap period? Who cares about the rebuilding of Jerusalem? Who cares about the time that Jesus Christ died on the cross? What does 173,880 days have to do with anything? What does it have to do? Well, 173,880, this place is the day that Christ makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, being crucified. And on that day, on 173,880 days from the beginning of Daniel's first prophecy from the first week. And it makes up 173,880 days, and it makes up all those days. Something very special happens here. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives, and guess what he's doing? He's looking at Jerusalem after all these thousands of, and he's there, and something very special happens on that day. I don't know if any of you know what happens on that day, and Luke chapter 19 describes it to us. It says, as he approached Jerusalem, he sees the city and he weeps over Jerusalem. And he says, even you, if you had only known that this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He says in the end of um, Luke chapter 19 and verse 43 at the end, and then he says this, the days will come when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you. And if you look at Israel today, they're enemies are all around them. But then in the end of verse 44, he says this, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You did not recognize it. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he talks about the 70th week. The 70th week is a time when God's special focus is back on Israel. It's for your people and for your holy city. It's for Israel. Now what's special about this is he talks about the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is unveiled immediately here. He says this, if you look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. On the 70th week, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That he who he's talking about here, he is talking about the Antichrist that is to come. And in the middle of the seventh, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And he will, on the wing of the temple, set up an abomination of desolation. When you look at this 70th week, according to Daniel 9, 24 through 27, the Antichrist will be of a people. And if I ask you today, where will the Antichrist be of a people of? I wonder how you would answer that. Every eye, go to verse 26 with me. And can someone read verse 26 nice and loud so that everyone could hear you? 
Let's stop. So is the Messiah the same prince that he's talking about there? Or the same ruler? It's not. It's two different people. Who is he talking about? What is he talking about there? He's talking about a time when Israel is destroyed. Does anyone know what happens 70 years after Jesus Christ? What happens 70 years, 70 AD? Does anyone know what happens? Rome destroys the temple and destroys it. So watch what Daniel says here. It says, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So who are the people of the ruler that he's talking about? The people he's talking about are the Romans. The ruler that he's focusing on here is the who? The Antichrist. When I look at the 70th week and what the angel is trying to teach Daniel here, it's this right here. That during this time, there's going to be a world leader and it talks and it describes this him as the people of the ruler who destroyed Jerusalem. It only leads me to say one thing, that this world leader is going to be from a revived Roman Empire. And that is what Daniel's prophecy is really all about. Daniel's prophecy is about there's going to be an antichrist and he's going to come from a revived Roman Empire that's going to be established again. And that's very powerful when you look at Daniel chapter 9. Because in Daniel 26, he tells them this, that the Antichrist will be of the people who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. It's the Romans. And many people believe that in, during these days, there's got to be a revived Roman union or empire that's going to take place. And then you start to study and you start to see what things are happening today. Something so powerful, something so amazing like the European Union and what it's doing as we speak today. What it's done with the euro in years past and what it's still doing as we speak today. And you look at those countries, countries all in the European Union, which Rome at one point was in total control over. And here is Daniel, and he's talking about how the Antichrist will come from a revived Roman Empire. People always say, well, so-and-so president is the Antichrist. That's not true. When you look at Daniel, the Antichrist comes from that region. And then in Daniel, he begins to flirt with us to show us that there's a revived Roman Empire that comes from this, that this world leader comes from. So Israel during this time must rebuild the temple at the beginning of the seven-year period and it's going to offer up sacrifices and offerings and that's going to continue just like it used to do like in the days of Moses. But this world leader is going to break this treaty with them, this Antichrist. And Daniel says on the wing of the temple he will set up what is called an abomination of desolation. Let me tell you what this Antichrist does. He creates a treaty between the Muslims and the Jews. And he says, let's live in peace. That's what Daniel chapter 9 is about. So ready? Forget about the math. Who really cares? It's about the Antichrist doing something that no world leader has ever done. Rebuilding a temple in Israel. And when he rebuilds the temple, Daniel says he's going to do something one day. On the 70th week. On that seven years, he's going to do something. He's going to come right in the middle of the seven years, which is three and a half years. And on the section of that temple, he's going to create what is called the abomination of desolation. Someone asked me, well, is it a 
some sort of um, um, structure, some sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I just went ahead of, uh, idol, what's the word that you said? A statue. And I said, absolutely. Because it just makes sense that Israel and everyone is going to say, he gave us a temple. The least that we should do is erect a statue. Don't they do that? You go to Yankee Stadium, Babe Ruth is in the front. One day, Pat Riley will probably stand in front of the Man Marino. But think about this. You make statues to honor that person. And he's probably, they're going to make a statue of him. This world dictator who saved Israel and built people again. And on that day, all the news coverage is going to be there. They'll have an amazing ceremony as he speaks, as they honor him at the temple. And the Antichrist does something amazing. He stands before all the world, before all of Israel, before all the Muslims, before everyone on CNN, Fox News, BBC, and every news station that you could think of. And as his statue is erected, and he's in the temple, he calls himself the Messiah. And right then and there, he creates what is called the abomination of desolation. That's what Daniel is all about. And right there, you want to know what Israel does? What in the world did we just do? This is not the Messiah. And he turns on Israel. This is very important. Let me explain to you why I think this is important. I'm going to reverse. Don't turn there. Just listen. Matthew 24, 15, and 16. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination of desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, verse 16, Matthew 24, 16, and let those who are in Judea, let them flee to the mountains. Did you guys see that? That's important. When the abomination of desolation happens and the Antichrist comes, so if there's anyone here and you are in the great tribulation and you see a world leader that is coming from, a European, from European nations, which I wish I had time, I'm going to break all this down probably now next week, and this is where it gets really good. I'm going to tell you guys right now, do not take any kind of sign from him. There's going to be a time where you're not going to be able to eat, you're not going to be able to go and order food and groceries anywhere unless you have some sort of sign, some sort of card, some sort of chip, some sort of something that's going to be able for you to be able to serve yourself food and your family to give them food. Don't do it. If you are here during that great tribulation and you see that there are 10 countries backing up this one man and this one man one day erected, a statue of himself on the temple and you're seeing all these things know this do not be seduced he is the antichrist he is the enemy he is the son of satan the enemy of god amen when you look at this abomination of desolation jesus says this is so serious that I let everyone who's in israel let them run to the mountains you want to know why he, jesus says let all of israel run to the mountains does anyone know why because from the day of the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist for the next three and a half years looks at Israel and brings the worst wrath. You thought Hitler was bad, Israel. But you will never experience anything like the Antichrist. So let it, it's going to be so bad that let them flee to the mountains of how bad it's going to be. And I'm going to end with this last little fact here. There are ten countries, and I'm going to talk more detail, I promise you. This is where now... Tribulation gets really interesting because from here we go into the bulls and the seals and stuff that you really want to know about. But there are 10 countries, 10 countries that made up. 
When you look at the European Union, there are, there are actually a lot of countries that are made up, but then there are 10 distinct countries that make this, I think there's an acronym for it, W-E-O-U or something like that. The Western European Union, it's 10 of them. I'll name them to you really quick. Belgium, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, United Kingdoms. There are 10 countries that make up this Western Europe Union. These are 10 countries that we know contributed in the creation of what is called NATO. NATO is huge in this, in this, in this world. Today, everyone's waiting for NATO. Is NATO going to defend us in this war? Is NATO going to defend us? NATO has so much power. And people wait for NATO to get to them. And NATO consists of these 10 countries. Now, the European Union is rapidly, rapidly fulfilling prophecy. Next week, I'm going to show you guys. Do we have the pictures by any chance? Just put them up. And then next week, we'll go into this detail because I see it's getting late. In the book of Revelation and in Scripture, it talks about this woman who is riding a beast. And the woman has ten horns on her head. Did you guys know that? When you look at those ten horns, those ten horns are ten nations, ten countries that are going to back up this woman. And this woman, Revelation describes her as riding the beast, the Antichrist. It's describing this Antichrist, and on top of her are ten horns, which are ten countries. How interesting it is that I just told you that Daniel, the 70th week prophecy, is all about the Roman Empire coming back into power. How interesting it is that that's exactly what's happening with the European Union, that there are 10 countries right now in the Western European um, Union that make up NATO that are putting all this stuff into place. And how interesting is it that this woman that rides the beast has 10 horns on her head? And how interesting is it that the very own... Go ahead and put the pictures up. And we'll talk about this some more next week. That picture right there, she's holding the flag of the European Union with the stars on it. She's riding the beast. And if you look at that picture, there are portraits like that in the main meeting place of where the European Union meets. And they erect it, and it's on their walls, and that's what they mean. I'll show the next picture. That's the one I send you? Oh, you got to be kidding me. Mm. The building that they meet at, the building that they meet at, they've named it Euro Babel. I don't know if you guys know that. They've named it Euro Babel, and it's a building that looks, and I'm going to show you the picture. It looks something like this building right here. Does everyone see that building? I know it's, it, I know I can't blow it up because it's from whatever. Don't look at this thing. But you see that? See that little thing? Everyone see that building? Everyone see that building? To, the, to your right? What does that building look like? Doesn't it look like it's, right? But doesn't it look like um, it's supposed to continue being built? Like you could see the structure, how they kind of like stopped building it, right? And you could almost see that. They, they, they have this timetable of how they're building it, and it's going perfect, but then it comes to like a stop. Does everyone see how it's coming to a stop? Everyone see that? That building where the European nations meet at, Euro Babel. How interesting that they would call it Babel. Because right next to it to the left, we have an amazing drawing of the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. And the Tower of Babel had to stop being built. 
Because Nimrod said, let us build a tower that is greater than God and wiser than God. And we are better than God. And God looked at Nimrod from the heavens and said, are you really that serious, you dummy? And he says, let's go down there and let's cause confusion. And he brought different languages and they had to what? Stop building the tower. And the Bible says they look like fools. Because what? The building was halfway. And they never got to complete it. How interesting is that the European Union meets in a building, Eurobabel, that would look like a modern-day Babel that Nimrod was building in the Old Testament. Guys, it's right before our eyes, the European Union, ten nations, bringing up, bringing up the Antichrist to power for the days that are to come. You can't make these things up. You can't say, oh, man, that's just a coincidence. Rudy, if you go online, and the last thing I'm going to show you guys, there it is, guys. If you could click on there, Woman um, riding the beast. And then this is where we're praying end. And then just go to where it says images and start flipping. And I'll tell you, go to the next one. I'll tell you which one to click at. On top of, in France's main building, in, in the Euro Babel's main building, I want everyone to look at this. Because you're going to stand before God one day and you're not going to tell God, New Life, Pastor Rigo, never warned us. That's one. No, no, stay. No, okay. You can move. So, if you look at that right there, that is a woman that is riding a beast right there. That is in front of one of their buildings. How interesting is that? That's so cute. It's funny that Revelation talks about the same woman who's riding a beast. Go to the next one that you were going to click on originally. There's a woman grabbing the beast by the horns. And it's a woman with long hair. She has feminine figures, a feminine figure. And she's riding a beast. I want you to go there. Go to the euro dollar. No, uh, euro this is a euro. How interesting that the euro has a woman on the beast. And you could go ahead and count the stars around there if you want. <laughs> you could click on another one if you want, just for fun. Go to an old Babylonian one. See if you can find one there. Me and Lou saw one today. Oh, no, no, you leave it up. Leave it up so we can all see what you're doing. <laughs> put it back up, put it back up. Oh, because you can't see. My bad. If you look at an old Babylonian coin... The old Babylonian coin. You want to know what it had on it? What a coincidence. A woman riding the beast. You tell me that the Antichrist is not going to come from a revived Roman Empire. And I'll tell you that you're not reading the Bible. Daniel's prophecy was about that. The Antichrist will come from Rome. I'm not talking about Rome, the country. Because when it's describing Rome in the Old Testament... It's talking about all those countries that at one time made up Rome. It's going to come from them, and those countries are going to back him up. And those countries are going to walk into Israel, and they're going to come with a peace treaty, and it's all going to be a lie. And they're going to cause hell. Hell to those who get left behind. Hell to all the Jews. And the one that's going to be leading this is a man who will be the Antichrist. Next week, you'll see how there's one partner, partner in crime with him. And his name is the false prophet. One is a political figure with a lot of power and huge armies. Another one is a very religious man who has a lot of influence in the religious world. That through him, signs and wonders will happen. Very charismatic. And he will be right next to the Antichrist. And people will follow the Antichrist because of how influential the false prophet is. You guys put two and two together. You guys decide who the false prophet is. You guys decide what religion he'll come from. 
I'll leave that to you guys. But I think we've added some numbers. And I think we're seeing how it's all coming. I think we're seeing how it's all adding up. I think how we're seeing how we are in the last days, right before our eyes. We're there. Get ready. Be watchful. Amen? Guys, pray for me. You don't know how hard it is to teach this, man. I really struggle. Okay? I really struggle. As we uh, pray next week, um, we'll go, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll go some more about the European Union because I know that's where we left off at, so that's an amazing place to start at. We'll talk a little bit more about the European Union and um, we'll start discussing. I know you guys are like, can we look at Revelation already and look at some bowls and, and um, some seals and some trumpets? We'll do that. Next week, we'll look at bowls, trumpets, seals, and what does that mean? What does it mean that one-fourth of the world is going to be destroyed? What does it mean all these things that all these bowls are going to represent? It's going to be a horrific time. Now, you know what's interesting about the bowls and the seals and the trumpets? The Antichrist is not in control of that. God is in control of everything. It's funny because the Antichrist thinks he's going to be in control of many things. He's not in control of anything. God's in control of everything. How many of you are falling in love with Jesus like never before in these days? Are you feeling that in your heart? Don't be discouraged if you're not. Jesus loves you. He's calling you. But I believe God is stirring many of you guys because he's coming soon. I sat with my wife and I had a serious talk with her. I called my mom last night. I said, Mom, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm going crazy. I had to close my Bible. And I told my wife, I wouldn't doubt it within the next five years if we see the great tribulation enter. I really think. I really think it's in my time. I think it's in my time. I think I'm the generation. I think you're the generation that is going to see the rapture, that is going to see the great tribulation. Hopefully not. Hopefully we don't have to see the tribulation and the rise of the Antichrist. Hopefully the Lord is going to take us up and we get to escape this day of great wrath. But I think it's soon. And there's a song that if I could sing, I would sing it all to you fully. But I used to sing it when I was a young kid in my church. And it went a little something like this. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. If you are a child of God, if you are the bride of Christ, we're going to see the king. Man. Lord, I thank you because there's a promise that I will see you again. Well, I will see you. And that day that I see you, I will never stop seeing you ever again. I can't wait for that day. Can't wait for the day that I rest in your presence forever. With my family, with my church, with you, with the disciples, with all the godly saints. That I will be able to sing the same songs that the angels sing. I know the words already. I've been practicing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I can't wait for that day. The Bible says that the bride is crying to come quickly. And Lord, here we are. Come quickly. We're ready for you, Jesus. 
But Lord, as we're waiting for you and we're looking up to our redemption that draws near, this is what we're called to do now. We're called to tell everyone to be saved, to know Jesus, because he's coming back. And I pray that in this group and those that are not here, that they would have a desire to evangelize and to tell people that their Jesus is returning to be prepared. Let us be modern-day John the Baptist that prepare the way for the coming of our Lord. Man, Lord, you are so good. The Bible says we do not know the day nor the hour, but Scripture says we will know the times because of the signs that you will show us. And I thank you for the times that we are seeing, that we pray for those in Iraq, those are times, that we're seeing what's going on in Russia, those are times. We're seeing things that are going on in Israel. Those are times. We're seeing the stuff that's going on with the moon. Those are times. And we thank you because you're telling the bride, honey, I'm coming, and I'm coming soon. And my groom, my beloved, I'm waiting, and I long for that day to be with you. And help us to prepare others. We love you, and we thank you. Let us have an amazing, safe night. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we say, amen. God bless you guys.